And so here we go. Good afternoon. Michael Benner with you, the Ageless Wisdom Tele-Seminar here. And our theme today, Emotional Management, Emotional Intelligence. I've been uh, saying here in the preface, the lead-in to the event this morning, or this afternoon, forgive me, it's morning here, that uh, this is simple but not easy. <clears throat> to stay conscious enough, to remind yourself, even if you know in advance the concept that we're talking about today, that emotional feelings are yours, that they're evoked by other people but tell you very little about other people and an enormous amount about you. And how to remember that when you're stressed may be the most difficult aspect of all of this. Once you remember it and go, oh yeah, wait a minute, this feeling's about me. Whether it's a positive feeling or a negative feeling, we're going to talk mostly about negative feelings, but to take responsibility and ownership, accountability, if you will, for the love in your life is just as important. Some might argue even more important, but it's easier to see when we talk about negative feelings, anger, hurt, upset, loneliness, sadness, depression, even apathy. <laughs> People think of apathy as no feeling at all. Apathy is a pretty horrible feeling, actually, a very negative feeling. To not care about something, uh, you have to be pretty desperate to think of apathy as a, like, like a neutral ground <laughs> between positive and negative. Um, so, it's easier to understand if we look at negative feelings. So the bulk of our uh, presentation today is going to be about taking ownership of the feelings that hurt us so that we can, through an understanding of that feeling, release it. Again, that's the secret to mental health and particularly emotional health. If you've ever looked at it, you know, or asked yourself the question, how do mental health professionals work? What is this talk therapy stuff really about? I mean, I know medical doctors have their pills and their potions and their powders and their very sharp scalpels, and um, that's pretty much it, drugs and knives, but I understand that process. But mental health seems so cryptic and arcane. What's going on there? How could just talking about how much I hurt? or how I've been abused, um, treated badly. Uh, how's that going to help? Understanding. Those of you taking notes, write it down. Uh, negative emotional feelings. Emotional feelings that hurt and or upset us are healed and released, no matter how big, once we fully understand them. If you understand part of it, you may get some relief, but the feeling still lingers or haunts you somewhat. That just means there's more there, more understanding available. So I think where we need to begin is by talking about emotional feelings, negative emotional feelings, again, that those feelings that are not happiness and joy and love and, and peace of mind, that are not generosity and kindness and a sense of gratitude, but the stuff that hurts. Those so-called negative, um, obviously, if they hurt, we're going to call them negative, but if they have value as symptoms, 
maybe they're really not so negative. And that's where I want to begin. Uh, to create the understanding that's necessary to heal or release hurt, it has to be about us. And maybe the best way of understanding that your emotional feelings are always about you, not about the individual or the group or the circumstance or situation that caused the feeling, but it's your feeling. I think it's real important to draw a parallel to physical pain. Now, none of us wants to feel either physical pain or emotional pain any more than you want to see a gauge or a red light on the dashboard of your car indicating a problem. But we're not better off if we mask over the dashboard with heavy brown wrapping paper and say to yourselves, there, now nothing can go wrong because I wouldn't know about it. I mean, that's denial. It's foolish. And yet that's essentially what 98% of humanity is doing. And you wonder why the world is the way it is, why there is war, why we are able to tolerate such gross injustice, hunger. There are food riots in this world, gas prices. I mean, uh, <laughs> they're rationing rice, I understand, in the United States. And most folks are walking around in absolute denial underneath that, terrified that uh, we're victims of life, not really understanding that the world out there is a perfect reflection of the sum total of the consciousness or the awareness, the attitudes and belief systems of the human beings that live on the planet. We've invented all of this. We made it up just as surely as we invented George Bush put him into office twice. I know you can talk about the Supreme Court and all of that, but if you're going to vote for a guy who you'd like to have a beer and a barbecue with rather than somebody that can spell strategery, <laughs> then that's what you get. And uh, the 49% of us that thought otherwise, well, you know, we've still got, what, in America, something like 35 or 40% who still think there are weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. So I'm not going to get into education and, and uh, the, the deficit that we suffer as a result of that. It's really the consciousness behind the education, that uneducated people, unaware people, that's the point. If you, they were aware, they'd be educated even if the schools are bad. What do we need to be aware of? We need to be aware of symptoms. We need to understand that just like I don't really want a problem with my car, I'm better off knowing via this gauge or this idiot light, so-called, in the dashboard that there's a problem so I can pull over and fix it. Physical pain, the same thing. I need to understand that this physical pain is a symptom. It's not really a problem in and of itself, though to, to one who's unaware, they might say the problem is the pain or the discomfort or the cramp or the ache, but that's not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. And he made me angry and she made me jealous and they hurt me and this situation upset me. The emotion is not the problem. 
it's a symptom of a problem that always goes back to, always goes back to not understanding yourself. Everything that hurts you emotionally is a symptom to show you where you do not understand yourself and an opportunity, therefore, to better understand yourself. Is that not cool? And and why, <laughs> why is this not, you know, being explained uh, to, to school children in the very first grade? Uh, why couldn't the first grader begin to understand the lesson that your thoughts could be about yourself, but generally your thoughts are about understanding the world around you. Here, come to school. We'll teach you not so much about yourself, but we'll teach you to use reasoning and logic and rational thinking to understand the world around you. Your feelings, on the other hand, will be honored and respected as well as a means, like symptoms in the physical body, of better understanding yourself. You have two intelligences. You have two ways of knowing and understanding things. And most of us have never been told that. You know, I come to all of this, as most of you know, from journalism, from doing broadcast news and commentary. A lot of news and a lot of talk shows. And I left radio as a full-time career 20 years ago, 1987, for a number of reasons, partly because the nature of radio and TV was changing and I was becoming embarrassed to even be associated with it, um, but also because, I really must say, also because I found a story that superseded all other news stories that Every news story that I was doing, whatever the nature of the news story, crime, government, politics, social issues, economics, whatever, was caused by and rooted in humanity's, how shall I say this, is it an inability or an unwillingness to understand themselves? Really both. The ability is there, but if you're unwilling... You could be unable as well. And remember, you've got television and radio and newspapers and magazines. You've got all the commercial media saying to you, you're not responsible. You're not accountable. You have no power at all. You are a victim of life. You are a target. You are an effect. Life is done to you. And therefore... You need this product or this service to deal with the issue, to overcome, to conquer, to defeat, or to eliminate or eradicate this particular problem. You need my product or my service. And what do the politicians say? Our so-called leaders in government or in corporations or in unions, uh, uh, even parents, what do they say? You need me. I'm the boss. To some extent, that may be true in each of those cases. But whether it's parenting, business management, or the way government runs, 
there should be also, okay, I'll represent you, and I have a certain authority level here, but we must move you toward accountability, toward responsibility, because while there may be some truth in the concept that life is being done to you, it is trumped by, superseded by, a greater awareness that life comes out of you, is elicited or evoked from you. And the first place to understand that is not with physical behavior or even health, nothing physical, not even the mentality behind it that causes the behavior, for much of that behavior is reflexive, it's knee-jerk, it really was thoughtless. But at the emotional level, to be accountable, to be responsible, to take ownership for your emotional feelings and to know that how you feel in any given situation says more about you than the world around you, much more about you than the world around you, and that that hurt is going to continue to hurt until you understand it and if you think it's about the world around you, you'll never understand it. Only if you take some ownership and say, well, the world stimulated, here's the key, here's the key, the world stimulated, or this person, or this group, or this circumstance that I had no influence over, created this feeling. Fine. It stimulated the feeling. But the feeling came from you. If I said something hurtful and insulting to ten different people, it would generate ten different sets of feelings. They might be similar feelings, depending on the nature of the insult, but each person would experience it uniquely. My God, this is important, you see. To blame other people for your behavior as I, as I said in the emailed invitation this week, most of us understand and have been taught that that's a sign of bad character. To blame other people for your behavior while well, they made me do that, you see. Uh, some folks, uh, even know that their thoughts are their responsibility, that they can apply thinking and, and they could have done the research and they could have figured it out fine. But that's something to be said for being responsible for your behavior and even responsible for your thinking. That's good. But very few people are responsible for their emotions. And even if you understand this concept because you're a self-help junkie and you watch Oprah and you you, you read uh, books you got at the Bodhi Tree or whatever, isn't the challenge, I know it is for me, isn't the challenge when you get stressed and worked up to remember what you know? I mean, the intoxicating nature of hurt and upset is such that we get pulled into what Buddhists call the pain body. Eckhart Tolle talks a lot about the pain body, the egoic, uh, separated by all appearances, the separated self. We identify with the self that is having the pain. We identify with the feeling. We say, I am that. Okay, like a variation on Descartes. I think, therefore I am. Most people, uh, I feel, therefore it's your fault. <laughs> you made me feel this way. And again, this works, 
this is true also for the positive feeling, you know, the idea that I need your love. You have know, got to have your love. I can't live without you. But that's not love. That's a fear of losing love. Uh, somebody said to me, a broken heart is hard to get over. Well, yeah, it is. It takes time to heal. But we can accelerate that process by understanding that the broken heart tells us more about ourselves. It's our heart that's broken. And what are we compelled to do in a situation like that? We're compelled to understand the other person. It's part of the fight or flight response, to know the enemy, to know the other. Fine, use your thoughts for that and follow through with appropriate behaviors. But darn it, your emotions are about you. A second way of knowing, a backup form of understanding that is dedicated to knowing the self, the emotional nature. Now, this is, this, what I'm, what I'm going to follow with is, is just as important as our main premise. You cannot do that while your emotions are raging. You can't understand the positive or the negative. You, you, you really can't take ownership of the love in your life and uh, be accountable for supplying love, giving, emanating, radiating love, much less the negative stuff that hurts so much until you understand it's about you. But that understanding has to take place when emotions are calm. When you're all hurt and upset and anxious in what brain researchers call the beta brainwave level, normal consciousness, uh, it's like a storm inside. And, you know, when you're most angry or hurt or upset or lonely or depressed, this is the conundrum this is the catch 22 I'm so victimized so much a target or effect of the emotion that seems to have been done to me that it's hard for me in the moment to remember what I heard Michael say on that Sunday teleseminar or what I read in the self-help book or what I've known for years but as soon as I get emotionally worked up I get all confused. Exactly. You know, for those of you with a Christian background uh, or, or who to this day think of yourself as Christian, you probably know the allegory, the story, the parable of Christ walking on water. And it's all about fear. And, and when Christ walked down the water, the fear went away. That's the way it's taught. Well, maybe the water supported Christ because he was fearless. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe when you let go of your fear, then the waters are calm. If you think about floating on your back in fresh water, which is a skill that requires a lot of relaxation, especially fresh water, um, the water will support you. If you try to hold on to the water, you're going to sink like a stone. This is the secret of swimming <laughs> or floating on your back in waters. You have to stay relaxed. The more relaxed you are, the more the water supports you. You can float on your back. Well, imagine being so relaxed, so safe, so fearless, so fearless that the water would support you walking on your feet. Now, whether this is just a nice story or whether it actually happened, uh, is of little consequence. 
the important thing is to understand that, well, here's a variation on it. If we think of emotions as being like the water, if water is choppy, lots of waves or even just like on a little pond, a little few little white caps or, you know, choppy water, you cannot see into the water, nor can you see very well what is reflected on the surface of the water. But as the water becomes calm and the surface of the lake is smooth as glass, now you can see into the water and also see more clearly that which is reflected upon the surface. Consider that what you're able to see deeply in calm waters is your emotional nature. And what's reflected on the surface is the spiritual nature that stands above you. Neither of those will be available to you unless or until you learn to calm your emotions with breath, with letting go feelings of deep relaxation, and with a receptive state of mind, an open and receptive contemplation or reflection Listen to the word, reflection. I'm going to reflect upon that. I will contemplate, I will introspect. Uh, as a friend of mine likes to say, let me cogitate on it <laughs> for a little while. That's not a thinking process. It's not, well, maybe cogitated, but depends on the meaning of the word. That, that should not be a thinking process. A meditation, a contemplation should be a matter of Taking a nice breath or two, ah, as you exhale, letting go, close your eyes. Closing your eyes reduces brain stimulus by 86%. To just close your eyes and take a few slow, deep breaths shifts brain waves from beta to alpha, and you have expanded awareness. You begin to see, oh, I understand. Oh, I get it. Oh, well, that's perfectly obvious. I wonder why I didn't see that before. You must calm the emotional waters. You must create inner tranquility if you are to see into your emotions and then access your spiritual nature. People often come to me with the question in one way or another, why am I not making more progress on the path as a seeker, why is it so difficult for me uh, to make any kind of progress spiritually? I, I, I feel pretty much the same as I always have. You have to consider that the reason for that is you haven't done the personal development. There's all kinds of people that have all the right books on their shelves, and they take the yoga class, and... Uh, uh, they sit around the coffee shop and talk about spiritual things and echo what they've heard others say and, and read in good books. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's wonderful. But unless or until you've done the personal development work, uh, I mean, maybe somebody's going to let you into college, but you, if you haven't been through high school, you're going to have a pretty rough time of it, even if they did let you in. You see what I'm saying? So you've got to go through personal development to get to spiritual development. The irony is you've got to develop your ego before you can drop it. 
that make sense to you? Is that a trip or what? Eric Fromm is one of the few people who I've seen quotable quotes uh, on this very topic. He said, only the fully developed ego can be dropped. You can't kill an ego that you don't understand. You can't release <laughs> a, a persona nature. Persona, by the way, personality. Persona means mask. You can't drop that mask. You can't let go of the character that you've been playing unless you understand it. And to understand it, you must rely more on your emotional intelligence than any kind of mental intelligence. Okay? I want to remind you guys as I speak, if you want to type a uh, question, or even a comment for that matter, provided it's not too long, uh, do so at the bottom of the page here. And I got several people coming in just saying hi. Put in your first name, first and last if if you want, but at least your first name and uh, <laughs> the city you're calling from. There's some funny stuff on here. So uh, let's see. We're about uh, almost a half hour into it, so I'll make just a few more comments here, and um, then hopefully I'll I'll have some questions that I can respond to. Again, we got lots of folks on the line today. And if you just want to type in a little push to actually, this is our best-tended event so far. And uh, so I'll do a little summary, and then we'll see if we have some questions to respond to. And then I'll show you an example of how I have learned and how I have taught others, even instructors. There are some people that come to this call that are graduates of my one-year-long career training, 160 hours in the classroom where they've learned these techniques. And, again, I didn't invent this stuff. It's ageless wisdom. <laughs> it's from time out of mind. And uh, yet it's always been held by secret societies and a handful of masters, women and men, who knew that most people were not ready for it. However, there are many of us that think that the world is in such a condition that it is time for this truth to be known and practiced, uh, not just known, but practiced and then taught to other people. It's absolutely imperative. Um, this is the crossroads time, and I'm very hopeful. I would not be doing these uh, events, these tele-seminars, if I wasn't optimistic and hopeful that a small percentage of us, 5 or 10% of humanity, can indeed save the world. But in order to be a spiritual warrior, so to speak, you have to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And so we really have to have emotional intelligence. We have to understand the egoic nature and the personality and the characters that we've been playing before we can... Take a step back and be the awareness behind those thoughts and feelings. Okay, this this is what Eckhart Tolle and Gary Zukov and um, oh gosh, once I start listing them, uh, so many other women and men are doing in the field is pointing you to the idea that you are more than your thoughts. Indeed, you are more than your feelings. You are the consciousness or the awareness behind all of that, or if you wish, above all of that. But 
the one I think we need more of are the practical how-to steps to create that consciousness, to create that awareness. And I almost want to say make it a habit, but if, <laughs> but if we made it a habit, you know, that's a, that's a reflex. That's exactly the opposite direction we want to move in. We want to learn to live there and uh, to get back to a place of expanded awareness when we get pulled down into the ego or the personality, uh, the pain body, uh, the separative nature, uh, whatever you want to call it. And that requires several things. I think uh, mindfulness in our daily life and affairs, which is a function of a meditation exercise, a practice of some sort, and also study, coming to these teleseminars, reading those good books that we talked about, and dedicating some part of your life. What if you set aside an hour a day? Uh, people wince when I say 10 or 15 minutes a day to meditate. Oh, no, don't make me close my eyes and think positive thoughts of beautiful outcomes and 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 tranquil paradises. Oh, no. I mean, what is the fear of meditation? Have you ever really looked at your resistance to meditating? You wouldn't be on this call if you weren't interested in personal and spiritual development. Let's, let's be honest about it. I've been meditating for 35 years, uh, 34 years to be precise, since 1974. I'm still somewhat resistant to doing it. Why? Because the ego or the persona, the character that each of us plays in the world has its own sense of a need to survive. It does not want you to find out that you are the higher self. It, it, does, it does not want to die. It does not want the higher self to be born into your awareness, to be aware that you are the awareness, to be conscious that you are the consciousness. I use those words interchangeably at some point. I'll, I'll talk about the difference between the two, but I can't do it all at once. For now, we'll talk about consciousness and awareness as if they're essentially the same thing. Behind and above, outside of thoughts and feelings. Okay? So today, because thoughts are essentially objective and about the world around you, and emotional feelings are essentially subjective and about the world within you, that's our lesson for today. To understand the hurt and the upset in your life is to heal it. But you've got to understand that it's about you. That he made you angry or that she made you jealous. And to obsess on why they would do that, and what kind of person would treat me that way. And then to get all your other friends together in a pity party where we all seek uh, sympathy and, and, uh, and pity for the fact that other people are doing this wrong. I mean, this is the, the bulk of a lot of conversation for a lot of people is to complain about their lives, to, to blame I, I, I guess to some extent I can understand blaming what's been done to you on others, but the feelings that come out of that 
we got to take ownership. You, you've got to know that those are yours. That's your dashboard. Okay? So if somebody makes you angry, you might spend two or three minutes obsessing or fixating, holding, attached to this ultimately animal-level fight-or-flight response, know the enemy, why would they do that, what a nasty person, let me think of all the reasons that uh, they would do that and try to understand them. Fine, spend two or three minutes doing that, but then take a breath and close your eyes and own it and say to yourself, this is my anger, and this says far more about me than anybody else. It's not self-blame. I'm saying abandon blame. Don't blame others, but don't blame yourself. Just give up the whole idea of blame or finding fault. This is a symptom of your condition. This anger, this hurt, this loneliness, this jealousy, this upset, this apathy, whatever. If it's not love, it's your. Even if it's love, it's yours. But again, that's a. Let's just stay with the hurt for the most part here today. It's all fear-based. Everything that hurts is a reflection of something you don't know about yourself. If you didn't know that before, you know it now. And you can remember that. Everything that hurts you emotionally is supported by fear, a so-called negative feeling. And fear is the feeling of things unknown. And that unknown, that lack of understanding, lack of awareness, is yours. You are. You want purpose? You want meaning? I won't give you purpose. I give you meaning. You want meaning in your life? To know yourself. If you don't, who will? The job of self-discovery cannot be delegated. You're not going to learn anything about life by watching other people to the exclusion of knowing yourself and understanding yourself. And the first self we have to know is the ego or the personality. That's what your feelings are going to tell you. And then you can begin to let go of that as you understand it and move toward what Tola and Zukov and so many other swamis and gurus and mystics have been talking about, you know, to, to stop clutching and holding on and, and let go of that attachment to feelings and thoughts and behavior and even that physical sack of pain that you drag around with you and become the awareness that allows you to better manage all of those things. See, again, ego death is an unfortunate term. It's more in Rosicrucianism it's an alchemical marriage of the higher self to the to the lower self, of the soul to the persona of the spiritual self to the human self. You want to be like the den mother, the, the resident assistant, <laughs> the big brother or big sister to your little ego because you need the ego in the world. Right? I mean, that's the nature of temptation. You fall in the form, you're going to have an ego, and that ego is going to argue, and sometimes it's even going to dress up like the soul. You wonder what happens to gurus run amok. You know, how could Rajneesh, for example, write these wonderful books and have all of this mystical and spiritual insight and then start a community that stockpiles weapons while he collects 
25 or 30 Rolls Royces. What, what the heck is that about? It's about telling yourself that you're a spiritual person and you understand what's going on and you can deal with it. That's the ego dressing up like the soul. Right? That's the wolf in sheep's clothing, the, the, the little red riding hood, the wolf in grandma's dress. Oh, what big teeth you have. <laughs> okay? And yet, you can't really kill the ego. You can't drop the ego. Maybe if you want to live on a mountain someplace, yeah. But to live in the world, in this world, especially in the West, you're going to have an ego. Christ was tempted by his ego. The temptation of the Christ, again, a very famous allegory. Buddha went through his trials trying to figure it all out, from being a rich prince to a pauper and ascetic, and finally realizing the middle way. Okay, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, or last week, I think, the middle way. But we'll talk more about that, too. And finding balance in your life. How about if we put it that way? Feeling centered and taking responsibility for your emotional feelings. That's that's really what we're talking about. So let me hit refresh here and see if we have any questions that I can respond to. And uh, do a little time check. I've got uh, about 21 or 22 minutes before the hour, and I want to save time for a little meditation exercise. I'd like to keep these under an hour. A couple of times we've gone over an hour, and I apologize for that. Some of you might like that, but and I do. You know, <laughs> I could go on and on. Uh, so let's see. I already said hi to John in Pittsburgh. He says owning a broken heart is a tough one. Yeah, we've all had that for sure. Um, you know, this is, we know so little about love that uh, we have to consider that what we call love often is a fear of not having love. I mean, love and fear is all there is. Love is a real thing. It's an energy. It's a force. It's divine. It's spiritual. Uh, God is love. What what religious people turn into a man on a cloud is a magnetic field that is everywhere equally present. And it's warm and fuzzy. And it's love. And it's magnetic and attractive and cohesive. And it manifests as in the law of attraction and it heals and it provides understanding and insight love is a, an incredible thing it's not only the most powerful force in the universe it's ultimately the only true and, and real force in the universe fear is ignorance and, and a lack of understanding it's the absence of love and it's a it's a lot like lightness and dark you've heard me talk about the physics behind the, uh, no, I almost said that wrong, the physics behind the metaphysics. No, the metaphysics behind or above the physics. So light and dark don't struggle. Light is real. Dark is the absence of light. It's not a thing. It is not an energy. It is not mass. Einstein proved so far that that's all you have to work with. Energy and mass, spirit and matter. So 
Light actually behaves a little like both. But uh, darkness is neither energy nor mass. It's the absence. And that's what fear is like. It's the root of evil because it's ignorance. Evil, fear, ignorance, three words for the same thing. So often this broken heart is really a fear that nobody's going to love me again. Yeah? Um, I'll never find somebody to care about me because I don't know what's lovable about me. There you go. There you go. And I sure would like to know what others might see in me. Maybe I could develop that. There you go. See, looking for love in the right place, which is inside of you. And so, oddly, the broken heart is really a fear that I won't find love again. It's also commingled with a fear that I might fall in love again and then this same heartbreak is going to happen, right? And it probably will. Um, sometimes a heart becomes so crystallized and rigid that the only way it's going to grow is to be broken. And uh, if you think about that, to break a heart is to create an opportunity for growth. And as that broken heart heals, it's now expanded. There's more room for more love and understanding to come in. Carolyn LaHabra just says hi. Hello, Carol. Um, and John and Van Eyes. <laughs> Inside stuff from John. I can't really share. If I did, it wouldn't make sense anyway. Ham radio stuff. Hiya, John. Larry in Santa Monica. Hi, nice to see you on board here, Larry. In Long Beach, Peggy says, uh, I guess we have to constantly work on consciously correcting our thinking. I know I do. Yeah, no question about it. No question about it. it there, There is no there there. <laughs> there is no destination of enlightenment. You and I have never met an enlightened person, and beware of those who claim to be enlightened. Because those who say don't know, and those who know don't say. Those who know don't say. Ah, a master would never call himself or herself a master. The very fact that they call themselves a master reveals that they're not. So beware of those people that say, yes, I've arrived, I've attained nirvana, I am enlightened. It's a journey, my friends, not a destination. You want to talk about death and the other side of the veil, going home again, the soul pulling itself out of form or releasing form, whatever, um, then maybe we can talk about destination. All right? uh, but that's far too abstract for me. There is no destiny. You're not going to get enlightened. You will have periods of it, moments of it, hours of it, maybe days or weeks of non-judgment, of non-attachment, of the sweet, though sometimes subtle, contentment that everything is just sort of okay, where you don't judge everything and get so attached. The... the Eckhart Tolle tells a story that I like a lot about the man that wins the uh, 
brand new car and the lottery, and his friends all say, boy, what a lucky guy you are. And uh, he said, well, maybe, we'll see. And he's driving his new car around and enjoying himself, and a few weeks later he gets in a horrible accident, and he ends up in the hospital, and they say, oh, all his friends come to see him in the hospital, and oh, what a sad, uh, unfortunate situation for you to be laid up here in the hospital, and I guess this is really uh, bad luck, or misfortune, and the man says, uh, I don't know, maybe, we'll see, you know, and uh, a few days later, while he's still in the hospital, his house falls off a cliff into the ocean, and uh, they said, oh, what good luck that uh, you were in the hospital and not at home when your house fell in the ocean, and again, well, we'll see. There's an older story about that, too, that from time out of mind that is found in Eastern philosophy about, um, uh, I think it's, uh, I don't remember it as well, but I think it's about a man that has a son who breaks his leg and they think it's a bad thing, but then the the recruiters come around to draft the boy into the army and they don't draft him. They don't uh, recruit him, so to speak, um, kidnap him because he has the broken leg. So misfortune is often good fortune. To be aware that you don't have to judge is a temporary condition. And I really think that Peggy's got a good point here. Let's be uh, honest enough and humble enough, especially those of us who are teachers. I know a lot of you are teachers. Um, to... to share our stuff with other people to uh, I have a little pet peeve about these uh, phony gurus that pretend they're above it all and that they're so holy you know uh, Ramdas tells <laughs> Ramdas tells a story about being in line at an X-rated movie theater in Manhattan because he had never seen an X-rated movie and he was sort of curious and He's standing in I can't imagine the line would be very long, but this is Ram Dass' story. And as he's standing in line to go into this triple X movie theater to see this uh, porn, uh, just out of curiosity, of course, uh, somebody recognizes him. You know, Hippie walks down the street and goes, Ram Dass? And, of course, just then the line moves forward. And the question is, does he step forward or does he pretend that he was just you know, milling about. And, uh, again, to be less concerned about what other people think of you. Wouldn't it be nice to live a life where you cared about people and loved people and wanted to be generous and kind to people, but if they judged you, you just had some compassion for their judgment. That's their problem. To be driven by a fear of what other people think is to compound the problem of judging things. So, not only let go of your fear of what others think, of their judgment of you, but more fundamentally, we have to practice, 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 getting aware enough and clear enough to not judge ourselves. And yet the process we're talking about of understanding emotions is not judgment. It is not logical. It is not rational. 
It's not illogical or irrational, but it is more intuitive. It is the sixth sense. And as we approach this little exercise, I want to explain to you that intuition is a dawning. Intuition feels like, whoa, it's effortless. It's, it's sitting relaxed and open to the light. And sometimes you get a, a, a sudden uh, insight, a burst, an aha, a, a realization that just, like lightning, uh, illuminates the landscape. Um, Rudolf Steiner has a great quotable quote about the lightning flash of insight illuminating the entire landscape around you in the middle of the night, but not only illuminating the landscape, but changing it forevermore. Rudolf Steiner. Start buying some Steiner books if you don't have any. Very good, very smart. Formerly a theosophist that founded his own organization called Anthroposophy and the Steiner Schools that are quite remarkable. So sometimes the dawning is more a lightning flash. Sometimes it's the light bulb popping on, but sometimes it's just the gradual coming of the dawn. And uh, it wouldn't hurt any of us if we got up early one day and watched the sun come up and just sit. Find a day when you can just sit and watch the sun come up. That, that by the way, is a popular thing to do in Mali if you ever visit this island. Uh, a lot of people go up to the top of the crater, Haleakala, the house of the sun, and watch the sun come up. It's pretty magnificent because you're above the clouds, and you can see the sun come up on the horizon, but it's still below the clouds. And then it comes up through the clouds, and then above the clouds, it's quite remarkable. Well, that's what we're talking about when we take responsibility for our emotional feelings, when we take ownership. When we seek to understand ourselves rather than the stimulus. I'm going to give you one more allegory and then we'll do the exercise. Imagine that you have bruised yourself, that you fell, fell into a doorknob or a sharp corner, God forbid, and got this big black and blue mark. And uh, it wasn't all that serious of an injury. Uh, it really only hurts when you touch it. If you poke it, it hurts. Okay. Otherwise, you're pretty much forgetting about it, and it's starting to heal, this big bruise. Okay. And then I come along, and uh, I slap you on the back, and I poke you with my finger a couple of times because we're good friends, but I accidentally, without knowing it, I inadvertently poke that bruise there's going to be most likely a reaction, and the person that's been hurt will push me away and say, ow, you hurt me. And I say, wait a minute, how could I have hurt you with that simple touch? And you say, oh, well, gee, look, here is this big bruise that you poked. Oh, I'm sorry, I say, I didn't know you were hurt. Yeah, well, how could you have known, you know, it was under my shirt. But you hurt me. I might go on and argue, well, wait a minute, I didn't hurt you, really. You were already hurt. I just stimulated where you were already hurting. Friends, both things are true. As 
is so often the case in philosophy, in the ageless wisdom, the perennial philosophy, the middle way, the idea that both things are true, <laughs> that it's not this or that. You hurt me. No, I did not. You were already hurt. Wait a minute. That's a candy mint and a breath mint. Both things are true. You were already hurt. You brought your damage to that situation. And, yes, the person that says nasty, hurtful, upsetting things, deliberately or even unknowingly, is stimulating the hurt. But it's your hurt. If you remember nothing else from this seminar today, this little brief teleseminar, but that story, or if you want to remember that story, that example, as a way of remembering everything else, that your emotional feelings are a symptom and that hurt is about you, not the world around you. First, acknowledge that both things are true. You have an ego. They did hurt you. All right. But that vulnerability, that inordinate sensitivity that we bring to the situation is evidence of a specific area that we don't understand about the ego, the persona, the separated self. Understand it, and the hurt goes away. Emotional hurt vaporizes in the face of understanding. Continue to do that, and you will begin to understand the ego, and then you can rise above it. Then you can be the consciousness or the awareness, if you will, behind and above the form nature. And you won't kill that ego. You'll manage it. You'll protect it like a lover would. Does that make sense to you? I hope so. Okay, let's, uh, oh, we got a bunch more here. Let me look at these real quick. Um, I'm not sure. Hold on here. Let me boost this a little bit. Copperas Cove. I don't know what Copperas Cove is, but some of these, maybe that's a location. Uh, I've heard it said that there's a demon in the Buddha and a Buddha in the demon. Uh, do we hug our inner demon or chase him away? You hug him. You love him. You know, love the enemy. Right? There you go. You love your enemy, but you have to know it. Uh, Elaine in Chicago, nice to be able to hear your thoughts again. We'll look forward to having you uh, talk with my Internet radio audience in the future. Oh, how nice. Um, let's see. Elaine's talking about birth, birth2atwork.org, Internet radio. Two is a number, birth2atwork.org. Internet radio carried via Voice America, 2 p.m. Pacific. Good. We'll have to talk about that, Elaine. I'd like to support you in that. Uh, she says uh, emotional intelligence is a key area of interest to our listeners, to her listeners, who are weary of blaming others for the condition of the communities where they live. I certainly agree with that. And doesn't that have social and political overtones as well? Okay. Very good. Thank you for that. So uh, let's do a little visualization exercise. We'll talk about how to facilitate in, in a non-logical, 
in a non-rational, and again, I, I hasten to add, I don't mean illogical or irrational, but stop the damn thinking, <laughs> let go. I know you're all so smart, you just love to think, think. That's who I attract, people that are really smart. Turn that off and just sit quietly as we do this little exercise and wait for the dawning, wait for it. You know the feeling. We all know the feeling of aha, of inspiration or realization. That Again, it might be the dawning, it might be the light bulb pops on, and you might be thunderstruck, but you don't figure this out. That's the way you understand emotional feelings and what they say about you, not the stimulus. There may be something to learn about whoever or whatever the individual, the group, or the circumstance that caused the hurt. Use your thoughts for that. But as I said earlier, after two or three minutes of that, find the time to take a breath, close your eyes. In fact, do that now. Take a breath. Close your eyes. And relax. Create and sense within your body a feeling of safety like floating on your back in water. Like imagining you're a stick of butter on a warm day and you just soften slowly, yield from head to toe. Muscles, you can feel the muscles relaxing and unwinding. Take another nice, slow, deep breath, pulling in strength and power and love. And as you exhale, ah, create and sense a feeling of letting go. As you do this, imagine yourself in a beautiful place of peace, a place of ideal relaxation, often in nature, a garden, an Eden, a paradise of some sort. And be there. Visualize it. The feeling you're making it all up is exactly right. Pretend. Make it up. See the greens of the trees and the grasses. And, oh, look, all these flowers here. What a beautiful place. And hear the sounds, allowing my voice to go with you. Hear the sounds of birds singing. And the wind in the tops of the tallest trees. Smell the fragrances of nature. Ah, and feel the peace as if there's nothing else for the next ten minutes. Nothing else you need to do. Nothing else you'd rather be doing than feeling how safe and relaxed you can become in this beautiful place of perfect peace. Find a place to sit upon the earth, perhaps near a little pond, a lake, or maybe beside a nice bubbly stream spilling down the hillside. Water is always nice. Or you could be under a shade tree or in the middle of a sunny meadow, perhaps in a cool forested place. But sit upon the earth and feel the base of your spine plugged into the earth as if there were a cable that connected the base of your spine to the earth. Ground yourself, or 
Imagine being rooted into the earth, connected like a tree or a bush, a flower or a blade of grass, connected to the common ground of the one life, plugged in. All energy seeks the earth. All spirit looks for the mother, the, the, the mater, the matter. Plug yourself in. And while sitting, consciously, as consciousness, aware of yourself in this, albeit imaginary, still beautiful place of peace and safety, holding that feeling gently, really not a holding so much as just allowing it to be present around you. Think of a time in the last few days, you don't have to go back far, when you were hurt or upset, in just the last couple of days, two or three days. Yeah, that one, don't make a big deal out of this. Go with the first thing that pops into your head. It could be simple or trivial. Uh, somebody cut you off on the freeway or some inconvenience occurred. Somebody you decided was thoughtless and hurt your feelings. It doesn't have to be a big earth-shaking deal. Just some little thing. In the last two or three days, it's occurring to you right now. It's coming into your mind now. And if several flow in, go to the one that stands above the rest. It's calling to you. Come Come to me, it says. Understand me. And allow yourself to remember the feeling, to feel in your body now, somewhere in your belly. Somewhere in your body. That feeling, that hurt, that upset, that ache, that irritation, if you will. And give it a color. I mean, don't consciously choose it. Allow it to occur to you. If this feeling or set of hurt feelings was a color, what color would it be? And Go with the first color that comes to mind. Do not assign any meaning to it. That would be logical, rational, reasonable. I have no meanings for these colors. Neither do you need to have a meaning. Just experience that feeling as a color. Trusting the first color, <laughs> the first thing that occurs to you. And now, without needing to move at all physically, just imagine yourself carefully reaching out. Imagine yourself carefully touching that color for texture or temperature. And tell me how it feels to the touch. A color, a temperature, a texture. And now put both of your hands upon it or reach into that, that amorphous mass of color, texture, and temperature so that you feel you've got your hands on this feeling. And while you hold it in your hands, you can ask it questions. And trust your first impression. Always trust. In these states of deep relaxation, you can 
always trust your first impression. It will always be positive and supportive. If during an exercise like this, any part of your consciousness or awareness is critical, sarcastic, or negative, that's a thought disguised as a feeling. The love that is the awareness that allows you to understand that which appears not to be love is always supportive and tender and gentle in its expression of wisdom and insight and understanding. And so you just feel that you somehow have both hands in this particular color, this temperature, this texture. If the, if the temperature or the texture of the color that represents this set of feelings is too icky or, or prickly or hot, or, put on some gloves. But you can manage that. You can hold it. You can hold that feeling in your hands. Get your hands on it. And then ask it questions. The most important question the first and, for beginners, the only question is, given the way I felt in this situation, the feeling I'm feeling now and holding in my hands, what is my personal growth lesson? And wait for an answer. What can you, as a set, of so-called negative feelings that I remember from this recent incident. What can you tell me about me? And sit open and receptive. And you can repeat this exercise later and take as long as you want and repeat it again if you want more insight. But for now, just sit. What does my hurt tell me about me? Don't figure it out. Let it dawn. Let the light come. And maybe a follow-up question like, well, the next time I'm in a similar situation and somebody hurts me in the same way, how can I remember what I'm learning here today? Is there anything else that you have to teach me about me? And finally, I want you to imagine that you're being given a gift you're presented with a symbolic token object, a little gift to help you remember and understand what you've learned here in this simple exercise. And just, again, trust your first impression. What does this seem to be? What is this gift? 
And what does it mean? How does it bear upon what you've just learned? And if you're not sure, ask the feeling. As if it were a character, ask the feeling again. You hold it in your hands. What does this gift mean? I think I know, but tell me. What's it symbolize? And imagine expressing your gratitude to the pain. Express your gratitude to the part of you that is willing to do an exercise like this. Face your fear. And use what hurts to understand yourself better. And express your gratitude to you, to a universe that is organized in such a way that every problem has the solution enfolded within it and every heartache has within it the understanding to allow you to grow beyond the heartache. What a brilliant design. Keep your little gift. Bring it with you. And imagine setting down this hurt feeling, putting it down, letting go of it, bringing only the gift. Actually, you don't have to hold the gift. It is magnetically part of you now, <laughs> and you can bring it with you effortlessly. As you imagine coming toward the sound of my voice and sort of reorienting yourself, remembering the room in which you sit, feeling the chair or the pillow that supports you, Take a nice, slow breath, and as, as it feels comfortable for you, come back to wide awake. Open your eyes now, feeling refreshed, good memory, full memory, alert, rested, feeling really fine, feeling really good, leaving everything behind that hurts. And before I let you go, I want you to think back 10 or 12 minutes to the first time you thought of this hurt and compare how you feel about it now to how you felt about it 10 or 12 minutes ago and see if there hasn't been a shift and maybe it's not all gone maybe there's a little re residual hurt there but see how you feel about it tomorrow or the next day and if some of the hurt goes away, but some of it lingers, then repeat the process. Practice, practice, practice. The best athletes in the world continue to practice just to stay where they are. So, practice. Okay, well, thanks very much. I want to remind you that uh, besides these free teleconference, teleseminar events that we do every Sunday afternoon at 1 o'clock, 
California time, 4 o'clock east. Uh, I also have a podcast I do with my buddy Steve Snyder that's only 99 cents. It's going out to a lot of people, so we have a little delivery charge on there. Build monthly to your ATM card, your credit card, debit card. Less than $4 a month. And I really appreciate your support of this and encourage you to share not only these teleseminars by forwarding the emails you get telling your friends, but to help us wage inner peace with the podcast that I do with Steve Snyder. And that includes a meditation, visualization, exercise also. We call them audio journeys. And uh, you'll see a button in the lower right of your screen that says Wage Inner Peace Now. That will take you to the website. And there's other links below that to take you to my website, to the blog, even my LinkedIn profile is on there. But uh, Wage Inner Peace Now will take you to the website. You can check out more about FocusedPassion.com and the podcast I do with Steve, uh, Finding Yourself in Paradise for a silly 99 cents a week. Okay? And tell your friends about that. That's how we wage inner peace, folks. There can be no peace in the world if there is not peace in our hearts. I don't think it takes everybody or even the majority. I think uh, my feeling 5 to 10% of people changing who they are, realizing the truth of who they are, embracing the demon, <laughs> somebody said, loving that ego, but managing it, right? Caring for it learning about it so that you can transcend it. To be the love. As Gandhi said, be the peace you want to see in the world. That's the only way it's going to work. And so to wage peace, I, I, I think it's important for you to vote, to register and vote this fall. But that's not enough. I think it's important for you to go to teach-ins and rallies and even protests Perhaps direct action if you got to sit in at somebody's lunch counter. But that's not enough. All of these things have to be done from a conscious place of inner peace. So wage inner peace now. Learn these simple, portable meditation exercises and continue to study, continue to meditate, and continue your practice of mindfulness in your daily life and affairs. And uh, join us next Sunday, too. Tell your friends that uh, if they just go to my website, michaelbenner.com, and click on that big button right on the front page that says Michael's Newsletter, then they will get, like you've been getting, the invitations to these free teleseminars every Sunday afternoon. Well, thanks for being there, gang. I really appreciate it. And uh, join us next week. And uh, have a wonderful week, a conscious week. Practice the exercise. I'd love to get email from you. I'll answer it personally. If you want to email me at mb at michaelbenner.com. My initials at my name.com. Okay. It's sort of a backdoor. Most people email me at mb at theagelesswisdom.com, and that still works. But I want to give you guys the backdoor. Okay. mb at michaelbenner.com. As always, be gentle, love life, and take care of each other. From Maui, Hawaii, this is Michael Benner.